0: When
1: they approach Jerusalem, Welcome to the Christ Community Church, Church Podcast. At the we hope you enjoy this week's Jesus message that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become
0: more like Him. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her coat. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and He will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion... See, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and its colt. Then they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus went into the temple and threw out all those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs... Of those selling doves. He said to them, It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. When the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonders that he did and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do, do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus replied, Yes, have you never read? You have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. Then he left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Terry. One of the, uh, one of the interviews I heard... Um, This past week with uh, someone in Nashville, with a college student from Nashville. Uh, This student said, if Jesus is alive, why does everything suck? And it's a good question. It's a right question. If Jesus is alive, why is the world in the state that it's in? If Jesus is king, why is the world filled with the brokenness that we see around us all the time? If Jesus is king, why is there still suffering If Jesus truly did triumphantly enter into Jerusalem and set himself up as the promised king of God's people and king of the earth, then why? I wish I had a good answer for that right now. Jesus has come and he is our good and righteous king. And he is the good and righteous judge. And as we read in Psalm 34, he is the one who judges evil. He is the one who brings justice, who hears the cries of the brokenhearted, and who comforts the weak. And now he does that through his people, through his church, through his kingdom. And I think what we see here in Matthew 21, as Jesus marches into Jerusalem, is that Jesus is the king our hearts most desperately long for. He is the one that we so desperately need. And though I don't have an answer for all of the ills of the world or all the brokenness of the world other than to say we hope for the day that Jesus does return and make all things right and wipes every tear and all of the bad and sad comes untrue. Though we look to and hope for that day, in the meantime, in the here and now, as citizens of our King Jesus kingdom, we are here to be him to our world. And so though we can't fix all of the systemic issues individually, although we don't have answers for all of the overwhelming troubles of the world, we do have a commission from our good and righteous king. And we see that very clearly right here. In Matthew chapter 21, I I had Terry read all this. Normally we split this apart. We talk about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and then we talk about Jesus overturning the the money-changing tables in the temple. Only here in in Matthew, it's very clear that this is all one episode. This is all one thing that happens on one day in Jesus' life. He begins the day and comes and enters into Jerusalem, and he's there in the temple courts for the day, and he overturns the money changer's table, and then he goes back to the town of Bethany where he had been staying. This is all one episode, and we can't pull these apart. And I think when we do pull them apart, we miss something vital about the kind of king that Jesus is. If on Palm Sunday we focus only on the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, then we miss something about his rule and reign and how it works in the world, how it manifests in the world. But the first thing we have to notice here is that Matthew, the writer, desperately wants you to know that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the promised King of Israel who has come. There can be no question about that. There's no less than five scripture quotations here and more allusions to scripture, to the Old Testament. Matthew is making it abundantly clear, this is the guy we've been looking for. This is the guy that we want. This is the source of our freedom. He is the one who has come to bring the kingdom of God on earth and to bring it as God always intended for it to be. He is the righteous king. And so Matthew quotes here from Zechariah 9.9, from Psalm 118, which the people would have been singing at that time anyway. He quotes from Uh, From Jeremiah, he quotes um, from Isaiah. He's all over the prophets of the Old Testament to make it abundantly clear who this king is. But if we can be assured that Jesus is the king that we're looking for, that we're longing for, if we can be assured that Jesus is the king of Israel who's come to expand the borders and to be the king of God's people that God always wanted, then the second question we have to ask is what kind of king is he? We've all seen tyrants in the world. We've all seen despots. We've all seen dictators. We know what kind of kings there are in the world. And honestly, as Americans living in the democratic republic that we live in, right, we look at monarchy, we think of kingship and monarchy as as inevitably oppressive, as inevitably freedom-squashing, we don't know what it is to live under a good and righteous king. And we think there's no possibility of that kind of thing. Right? We are democracy-loving Americans. Kingship, as Monica mentioned last week, is totally foreign to us. And so we wonder, is it even possible to have a good and righteous king? Is it even possible to have someone who is totally sovereign, who is in control and in charge and yet be good and maintain our freedom and honor who we are as people. And the truth is, humanly speaking, there isn't a possibility of that. Power will inevitably corrupt, except for Jesus, who is not merely human. Except for Jesus, who in his life never once disobeyed his father, who was always in communication with his heavenly father, who knew what God wanted and knew how to bring it about. Jesus, who perfectly heard from God and perfectly loved as God has always loved. Jesus is the only possibility of a truly good and righteous king whom power will not corrupt. And that's what we see in his actions here. First, Jesus has set this whole scene up. Now, that's, that's interesting, because this is not like a spur-of-the-moment thing that just happens. It's not spontaneous or sudden. Jesus knows what's going to happen. So here's what you got to know. It's Passover. The Passover is happening, which is the biggest feast day of the year. Pascha is the largest feast day on the Jewish calendar. And at this time, Jerusalem has swelled with people. Up to four times as many people as are normally there. Hundreds of thousands of folks are gathered around in Jerusalem. Everybody everybody's, is uh, uh, pilgrimaging to Jerusalem for this feast, as the law has called them to do. And so there are thousands upon thousands of extra people. And Jesus has been staying in the town of Bethany. Now, in, I wish I had a map up here. I should have put one. So you got the temple here on the west side, right? So here's the temple on the east side of Jerusalem, on the west side of Bethany. So there's, there's the temple, the Temple Mount. It goes down into a little valley, the Kidron Valley. There's a brook that runs through it. There's a hill that goes up, and then just on the other side of that is Bethany. And that's where Jesus is staying, in Bethany, According to the Gospel of John, Jesus has been staying in Bethany because he came and resurrected Lazarus the day before. And so the morning of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus is in Bethany. There's there's also Bethpage there, right? And so Jesus has told his disciples, hey, there's a donkey waiting for me. I want you to go and commandeer it. And if anybody asks, just say the Lord needs it. And, and who knows what the, the servants or the people in charge of the donkey would have thought. Like, is this like our master needs the donkey? The Lord, God needs the donkey? Who, who's the Lord? I don't know. But anyway, these disciples, they go and they do this awkward thing. They commandeer this donkey in Bethpage. And Jesus comes and he gets onto this donkey, a colt, we're told, never ridden before. So Jesus, Jesus is preparing all this. He knows there are thousands of people. He obviously sees them. He knows the time of year it is, and he has some sense of what's going to happen. And he chooses to ride on a colt and a donkey at that, not even a horse. And he makes his way down. So the picture that you should have in your head of the people like crowding around is that they're on either side of the street, and they're in front of him even, on the street going down this hill. And as you're going down the hill, you can see the temple in front of you. You can see the temple mount. And you can see before you the golden gate into the temple. This is the big east-facing gate of the city wall of Jerusalem. And it goes right into the temple court. So you don't go through the city first. You go through there and up some stairs, and you are in the temple court. So this is the entrance to the temple. And Jesus is riding down this hill, looking at the golden gate to the temple. And there are thousands of people gathered around, many of whom have traveled with him, or at least at the same time as him, from Galilee, where he's from in the north. And so they've traveled down, they've come through Jericho, now they're coming west, they've stopped in Bethany, and now these people are gathered, and many of them know his name, and they know who he is because they're from the same region. And Jesus is famous in his own region, People know who he is. He's this traveling preacher, the traveling rabbi who is known all over the region. So as he's coming down this hill, people are whispering, Hey, there's Jesus. There's the rabbi Jesus. Hey, there's that guy. There's that guy who was healing people and raising the dead. Blah, blah, blah. And so they begin to shout and sing. Now, the other thing you have to understand is that when you approach the temple for a feast, as a faithful Jewish person, you are singing the Hallel. These are Psalms 113 to 118. They're called songs of ascent as you go up into the temple in Jerusalem. And it's a way of drawing your attention up, not to the temple itself, but to the presence of God that dwells there. You sing the Hallel, and the Hallel ends with Psalm 118, which is a proclamation of the king. It's a, it's a celebration of God's king. And so these people who have gathered for, for, for Passover, these people who are pilgrimaging to the temple, they're already singing these psalms that direct their attention to God's presence in the temple and then direct their minds to God's king who is to come, to the son of David. And these people, looking at the rabbi Jesus, making his way down the hill, see in him the fulfillment of Psalm 118, the king they've been longing for, the one that their hearts desperately want to see. And they began to sing, Hosanna to the son of David as Jesus makes his way in. This is a loud, rambunctious, crazy time outside the walls. And you can imagine if you're one of the religious leaders inside who doesn't really think much of Jesus, you're getting a little rattled because you hear these people singing and that's natural. But then you look out Over the hill from Bethany, and they're not just singing on their way into the temple, they're singing to a person. They're singing to a human, declaring, Here's the son of David who has come. The other thing you gotta know is that at this time, the messianic expectation, the expectation for a king is is high, it's running high. The Roman government that runs the city of Jerusalem, they're really in charge here, they pack the city with Roman soldiers. Because if a revolution is going to happen, it's going to happen now. When hundreds of thousands of people are gathered in Jerusalem, it's bursting at the seams. People are camping outside the walls. If anything crazy is going to happen, it's going to happen at the height of messianic expectation and when all of these people are gathered. And now you've got thousands of people singing to this one dude, there's our king. So if you're one of these soldiers, or you're the governor pilot in charge of this area, and you look out and you see this, you're shaking in your boots. You're thinking, how are we going to avoid a war? Because this is a powder keg. That's what's happening. This is a wild time in Jerusalem. An absolutely wild time. And the expectation from the Romans... The expectation from the religious leaders in the temple, certainly the expectation of some of the people outside singing Hosanna, is that Jesus has now come to take his throne. And they mean take his throne. He's come to bring war on Jerusalem and to set up his kingdom. Only Jesus is on a donkey, and that doesn't square. If you're coming in as a conquering general... A conquering king. You're not riding a donkey. You come in on a war horse. You come in ready. You come in guns a blazing, or swords a swinging, or whatever it is, right? But Jesus is on a donkey, and this doesn't make sense. And he rides in to the praise of pilgrims, not to the elite, not to the powerful. Not to the religious leaders, certainly not to the Roman soldiers or the Roman governor. Jesus comes in at the declaration of these pilgrims, these poor people from this out-of-the-way region. Jesus comes in proclaimed by the lowest of society. Jesus is not a king for the wealthy. He's not a king for the powerful. He's not a king for the oppressors. He's not a king... For the the religious hypocrites who think they have it all together, Jesus is a king for the people and the lowest of people from the most out of the way places. Jesus hasn't come for the self righteous. Jesus himself says, I've come for the sick, I've come for the sinner, I've come for the one who knows their weakness, not for the self righteous. Jesus comes riding a donkey and proclaimed by pilgrims. And then he gets into the temple. And what does he do? Jesus walks into the temple courts. Now, the temple is a crazy place. This was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple in Jerusalem. It is massive. I mean, it is unfathomably large. The temple court is absolutely huge. And it's the only place that absolutely everybody can go to. Gentile, woman, male Jewish person, whatever. Like, anybody has access to the temple courts. And when you come to the temple courts, remember, this is a pilgrimage. So you've got people from all over the Roman Empire who have come. They've got all kinds of different monies. So they need to trade their money in for the, the drachma. They need to trade their money in for the, prop, for the shekel for the right money to be able to give to the temple. So there are people exchanging money, just like you would if you went to another country. And then when you travel so far, you don't want to bring your sacrifice with you. That's a lot of maintenance. So you come and you buy your sacrifice when you get to the temple. So there are people selling sacrifices. They're selling birds and they're selling lambs. It's not just lambs, right? If you're too poor to get a lamb, you got to get a bird. So they're selling animals for sacrifice in the temple courts. And Jesus looks at this and says, "This this is not what the temple courts are for. Now, no doubt Jesus is not opposed to changing money and to buying sacrifices. Those are necessary things to be able to do what you need to do. What his opposition is to where it's being done and how it's being done. We're turning the temple of God into a marketplace, or we're trying to make money on the worship of these pilgrims who have come here. And so Jesus makes his braided cord, and he goes and he starts turning over tables. And he starts slashing his whip. And he declares from Isaiah that it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer. Now that's a really interesting quote right there from Isaiah. Isaiah 56. Go read Isaiah 56 this week. It's amazing. You see, in the law of God back in Deuteronomy, God had said, no foreigners and no eunuchs shall be part of the people of God. To keep the people of God pure, foreigners and eunuchs are excluded. Isaiah 56 flips that on its head and says that in the coming days, in the restoration of all things, the foreigner and the eunuch will be welcomed in and will be central to God's people. These people who were previously excluded will now become the bedrock, the foundation of the kingdom. Because it's not where you come from that matters. And it's not your physical situation that matters. It's your faithfulness to God that matters. And so Isaiah 56 makes it abundantly clear that when the temple becomes the house of prayer for all the peoples, it will be for foreigners and eunuchs and yes, Jewish people and for children and for lame people and for blind people. That the house of God will be for everyone to enter into based solely on their faithfulness to God. Not on any other aspect of their person. Not on any other thing that defines them. But solely on their faithfulness to Yahweh. And so Jesus comes in and he quotes from Isaiah 56. Where through the prophet Isaiah God has said the foreigner and the eunuch will be part of my people. And Jesus says, isn't that the vision? Isn't that the purpose of this temple? But you people have made it into a den of thieves. Quoting the prophet Jeremiah, who also in his way cleansed the temple. And so Jesus is standing in the feet of Jeremiah against the corruption of the temple, against the robbery of these pilgrims, enraged and incensed that people who are supposed to be faithful to God would rob God's faithful people by turning the court of the Gentiles into a marketplace. And so Jesus goes in and he aligns himself with the foreigner, with the eunuch, with the broken, with the pilgrim, with the poor. And then Matthew adds something here, and this isn't in the other Gospels. This is amazing. As he's there, Jesus has cleansed the temple. He's turned over tables. He's Drawn his whip. He's acted in judgment. And then as he's there still teaching, still talking to the people, children are coming to him. And the blind are coming to him. And the lame are coming to him. The people who are on the outskirts are, on, are coming to him. And the children are shouting that same song that everyone sang outside the city walls. Hosanna, blessed be the son of David. The king who's come. And Jesus is embracing the children as he's always done. And he's healing the blind. And he's healing the lame here in the temple. And the leaders of the temple come along. And what's their concern? You're making too much noise. Is this too big a racket? Do you hear what these kids are singing about you? And the implication is, Jesus, if you were actually righteous, you would disavow what these children are saying. The implication of what the religious leaders are saying to Jesus is, man, if you really were righteous, you would, say, you would tell them to shut up because they're loud and they're making a scene and also because what they're saying can't be true. You can't be the king. And yet Jesus once again quotes scripture. Do you hear what these children are saying, they say? And Jesus replies, yes. <laughs> yeah, I hear them. Have you never read? You've prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. And then he leaves. Jesus is making it abundantly clear who he is here for. The blind and the lame and the children and the pilgrim and the foreigner and the eunuch and everybody who felt outside of the religious system. Everybody who felt like that God wasn't for them because they couldn 't check all the boxes because by the accident of their birth they weren't the right kind of person because of where they were born and the people they were born to and what they were able to do and the 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 uh, vocation they were able to have, whatever whatever put them outside the temple wall, whatever put them outside the religious system, these people felt like they didn't have a place. And when you're excluded from the people of God, you feel excluded from God. We could say, oh, but God still loved them. But the fact is when God's people reject you, it's really hard to believe that God loves you. When God's people push you out, it's really hard to believe that God has any care for you. Some of us in this room have been in that very place where we felt like God's people said, no, you don't check the right boxes for us. No, I don't really want to sit next to you. Some of us have been right there. And Jesus here in his entry into Jerusalem and in cleansing the temple and in welcoming the lame and the children to himself and in receiving their praise, makes it clear that he is the king for us. He is the king for you and me who couldn't possibly check all the boxes. He is the king for us Gentiles. He is the king for us unclean people. He is the king for those of us who couldn't bring enough money to buy our way into the kingdom. Jesus is the king for all of us who opens his arms wide and says, welcome into my family. Welcome into my kingdom. Jesus is the king who brings healing and wholeness and justice and provision and love and embrace for the world, not just one sliver of one people group. All of us. And He is the one who leads us into justice and goodness and righteousness and peace and wholeness. Now you might be saying, hey, it's great. That's great. That's good that Jesus is that kind of king. I don't really see His kingdom around. Unfortunately, like the kid at the beginning, like the guy at the beginning of the sermon who said, if Jesus is alive, why does everything suck? You might be thinking, you know, it's great that Jesus is a good king. It's great that Jesus embraces everybody. But I don't see this kind of kingdom around me. I don't see this world. I don't, I don't see even Jesus' people living like this. And the fact is that if we want to see this kind of kingdom in our world, we got to be like the king. As we prayed earlier, let me not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be loved as to love. We are the agents of our king Jesus. We are the ones who walk in his footsteps. And if we want to see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus brought, if we want to see the world that Jesus envisioned manifest in our community and in our place, we got to walk the steps of the king. Which means, like our king, opening our arms to everyone in our orbit. Opening our arms to everyone in our circle. Welcoming him into the family of God. Being like Jesus and embracing the child. Seeking healing for the broken. Seeking provision for those who lack. And laying down our own resources for the people who most need them. Not excluding anyone from our community or from our embrace or from our love. Not saying to anybody explicitly or implicitly by our actions that you are not welcome here but saying all are welcome in the kingdom of Jesus. All are welcome to be citizens of our good King Jesus. But not just walking in the steps of our King. Also proclaiming that our King has come. Letting the world know that I walk in the steps of King Jesus because he is my King. Because he is my Savior, because he is my Lord. Not just doing a good deed, because I'm following the example of Jesus, but letting it be known that what I do, I do for my King. What I do, I do for the glory of God and for your good. To proclaim the king has come and he is better than you could possibly imagine. To proclaim that our good God loves you and wants you. That he has not pushed you out of his community. But in sending Jesus has made the final declaration that all are welcome in his courts and in his family. But not just walking in the footsteps of the king and not just proclaiming the king, but letting King Jesus reign in our own lives. Jesus must be king over me. He's already king of the world. His purposes will be done. But the good news of our King Jesus is that he has given us the will and the opportunity To say, Jesus, you're my king. Would you reign in this heart? Because I can't follow in his footsteps if he's not reigning over me. I can't proclaim Jesus is my king unless I'm his citizen. Jesus must be king of me, of my heart, of my life. If I want his kingdom to come in my world, if I want his kingdom to come in the lives of the people around me and in the community in which I live, I must turn from my sin, turn from my selfishness, turn from my self righteousness, give up my own ambition and say, Jesus, you are my ambition. You are my king. You are my savior. You are my lord. You are my master. And I want nothing more than to look like you, to live like you, to be like you in every way, to be cleansed, to be holy, to be righteous, and to represent Jesus. Before I can walk in his footsteps, before I can proclaim his kingship, he must be king over my heart. He must be king over my life. And so we come before Jesus. We who look out at a world that is rent with sin, that is torn apart, a world that is darker than we can imagine. We look out at the news reports that break our hearts. And we turn to our King Jesus who affirms it is not supposed to be that way and i came to make things right and i came to bring justice and i came to bring righteousness and i came to do it through you and we say to king jesus let me be your citizen let me be your servant i long to live like King Jesus. And so I turn from running my own life, I turn away from trying to set my own agenda, and I say, King Jesus, would you rule in my heart? Show me how to live. Show me what to do. Give me your Holy Spirit to empower me to live like Jesus, to be a faithful citizen of my King, so that when I say Jesus is my King, My actions confirm it. So when I say Jesus is my king, that he orders my steps, people can look at my life and say, yes, I see how you have loved and how you have given and how you have served and how you have cared. And I see that you are not one who seeks to be consoled as much as to console or seeks to be loved as much as to love, that you are a sower of peace and you are an agent of reconciliation I see who you are. And when the world sees who we are and hears the words of our lips that will glorify our King Jesus and be transformed into his likeness, then we will see his kingdom come. Then we will see this kind of world around us. Today is the day to dedicate myself anew to my King Jesus, to turn from my sin and to let Jesus order my steps to be filled with his Holy Spirit and empowered to be an agent of his peace and his kingdom as I walk through this world. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you incline our hearts to our King Holy Spirit, would you cleanse us of sin, of rebellion against our God? Would you make us faithful citizens of Jesus' kingdom, following him, welcoming all into our lives? Lord, would you shine your light through us? as we seek to walk in the steps of our King Jesus and proclaim your sovereignty, proclaim your goodness, proclaim your gospel. Jesus, would you march into our hearts just as you marched into Jerusalem and overturn our expectations and our ambitions and set us on the path of faithfulness to you. And Lord, when we are Confronted with darkness, may we remember that you are our consoler and that we are your hands and feet. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit christcommunitydenver.org.